0: to Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit and this morning again I don't have Teppo Pitzel sitting next to me my partner in crime extraordinaire who is normally with me um, Teppo did give birth, well of course Teppo didn't give birth, Lorata gave birth (laughs) but uh, on the day after our show we were talking about it last week that that uh, he was uh, moments before becoming a dad well he is now a dad and so Teppo is not with us Um, I am from Crystal Park Baptist Church Benoni where I serve the church as local staff um, taking care of men's souls and changing light bulbs as all good pastors do so shout out to everyone tuning in from all over the country it's so good to be joined by you wherever you are maybe you're driving in a car between cities and you've got some time to spend thinking on bigger things it's wonderful to have you with us it might be that you're at home having a cup of coffee and relaxing after taking the kids to school this morning that would certainly account for my wife who is in all likelihood listening in while she is sewing this morning Um, it might be that you have a bible open looking forward um to speak with or to listen and to engage with the various different guests that we have on on table talk talking on a range of biblical subjects I will introduce the guest sitting next to me uh, shortly um, but before we do um, let me give a shout out to Vusi who is on the controls this morning pressing the buttons and making sure that the lights stay on uh, our co-laborer in, in ministry it's good to have you with us uh, brother and uh, uh, we are about to bring in Michael Swain from 4SA and just talk through one or two of the uh, items which are happening on a national level Uh, we talk to Michael each week about the state of the nation um, pressing national issues and calls to action Michael is the executive director of 4SA he has studied law, he has done business, he has co-founded church movements, um, and uh, he represents 4SA, which is a legal advocacy organization working to protect and promote the constitutional rights to religious freedom in South Africa. Michael, it is good to have you online with us.
1: Great to be with you, Mark.
2: Oh, yeah. it's, lovely
0: to to, it's lovely to hear your voice, and uh, every time I hear your voice, to think of sunny Cape Town this morning
1: still sunny (laughs) still Still sunny
0: I gotta be honest the weather is glorious up here in Gauteng we drove through the through the farmlands uh, from Benoni to Pretoria this morning Uh, glorious blue skies couple of puffy white clouds um, and it seems as if the wheat is starting to go yellow so it's got that kind of just that beautiful wonderful feeling as you're driving through the lands they haven't started to burn things yet <laughs> Brother, um, yeah. Last week, when uh, when you and I chatted, we were speaking about uh, lockdown. We were speaking about regulations. We were speaking about Easter coming up. Um, yeah, would love to hear kind of updates regarding lockdown regulations.
1: Well, happily Easter. Passed without incident. In fact, the president commended the Christian community for the way that they cooperated with the government's efforts to minimise the pandemic, and obviously that involved doing all the protocols, the social distancing, masking, sanitation, hygiene, etc. And so that was very good. Um, As you know, we're still under lockdown level one, the amended regulations. The president amended them. He increased attendance uh, just before the Easter weekend. Mm. Uh, You will recall that many church organizations asked for a 50 percent reopening Uh, when they spoke to the president. We were at that meeting. We actually asked for a cap, but a large cap. We asked for 500 people indoors and a thousand outdoors particularly because there is obviously a concern that if you have a massive meeting like, say, the Mariah gathering, where literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people gather, there's a greater risk perhaps of of spreading the infection, Mm. um, which I might just say has never been proven uh, to be the case. Churches have not been proven to be super spreaders at all. But be that as it may, the incident went off, but we're still under the uh, current regulations where we are limited to at uh, 250 indoor and 500 outdoor or up to 50% of the venue. Uh, obviously, if it's gotta be, uh, you've gotta be able to put the the 50% in, um, it can't be 250 if your venue seats 250, it would then be 125, just for clarification's sake. But we're now looking at this very closely and I'm sure other religious leaders are too because with the infection rates as they currently stand and for the last four days nationally, the new infection levels have been less than a 1,000 people, less than a 1,000 people in a population of some 60 million. That is not a pandemic. And government is only able to restrict our constitutional rights of which, of course, freedom of religion is a vital one and a critical one, specifically mentioned in the Constitution in Section 15. They can only do that if it is reasonable, justifiable, proportionate, and fits the purpose. So they can't just arbitrarily do it. And our argument right from the beginning has been follow the science, follow the data, because if the data shows that actually there is no pandemic, there is no third wave, then there is absolutely no reason why we cannot have a greater reopening up to 50 percent or even beyond that, frankly, at the earliest opportunity. So we are in the process of formulating a letter. We'll probably send that out after the uh, weekend coming up to the president to basically join the cause again and to push again for a greater reopening of the faith community so that we can again gather together, which is a critical element, as I'm sure you know, not only of the Christian faith, but of many other faiths as well.
0: Brother, before you go on, a couple of friends and I were talking over the Easter period and the question came up the fact that the regulations were changed, uh, you know, when the President announced it on that day, it sounded like he was announcing it for the Easter weekend. Um, in actual fact, has it been amended for lockdown level one full stop? And so this is now for perpetuity until, you know, anything changes, that uh, that the restrictions on um, gatherings have been eased?
1: No, no, sorry. I should have actually said that the uh, updated regulations, which were the exactly as you say they were the pre easter uh, adjustment, that was given a a fifteen day uh limit so before the fourteenth of April, the president has said that they will again review it, so mm. we are pushing for that obviously interesting. we have Ramadan starts on the thirteenth of April, probably if the new moon is is visible at that point um but that is something which we are certainly going to be pressing for if these levels stay at their current rates. Or frankly, even if you maybe see a regional spike, you can always declare a specific area, perhaps a hotspot. So you need to be able to look at that too. But assuming that the levels are basically the way they are, which is pretty much right down from where they were. Um, I mean, there there was above 20,000 infections a day, Mm. 22,000 infections a day at the peak. Now we're less than a thousand. So it's not the same regime, and yes. we cannot have our rights, therefore, restricted uh, to this measure. It's just simply unjustifiable.
0: Now, last week, or the week before, I can remember we started to talk about this, uh, the topic of the marriage statute, um, the single marriage statute. Uh, any update there, Michael?
1: Well, just to say, there are a couple of developments. The first is that the South African Law Reform Commission, was tasked by the Department of Home Affairs to come up with a draft of what they felt that a single marriage statute should look like. So a single marriage statute, in case people are unaware of this, we have got... three main laws in South Africa which govern marriage. We have the Marriage Act, we have the Civil Union Act, and we also have the traditional and customary uh, relationships or marriages, which, again, are three separate things. They want to combine those, they want to amalgamate them, and they also want to cover all other types of partnerships and relationships which are not currently covered by statute. So this is a process that's been going on for a while. The Department of Home Affairs asked the South African Law Reform Commission to come up with its ideas, effectively, and they have produced two bills. And in conjunction with that, uh, the Department of Home Affairs is also developing a draft policy which will cover the whole area. So you've got two concurrent processes, which is a little confusing, um, but be that as it may, the comments for the South African Law Reform Commission's discussion paper, which has these two draft draft bills in it, Uh, That is open until May the 17th. And they say that the draft policy is going to come out sometime in April, which we would expect to be any day soon. And that will also have an opportunity and a time frame within which comments can be made. I think that the bottom line, though, is this, that we are at the moment biding our time. Interestingly enough, the discussion paper itself omits, there is an omission of any conscientious objection clause by any marriage officer to solemnize Mm. any marriage but at the same time if you read the discussion paper closely it could also mean that government is basically saying look we're going to take our hands right off this almost ideological viewpoints surrounding marriage all we want to know is is there a like a permanent partnership or a permanent relationship and it needs therefore to be registered because obviously that has a lot of implications in terms of property in terms of children in, in terms of divorce, death, and so on, inheritances and what have you. In which case, that's perhaps okay, because they're literally then saying, whatever you want to do from a kind of a spiritual point of view, you're free to do that, however you want to do it. And all those marriage licenses issued under the previous acts will just simply carry forward. However, what we're waiting for now, of course, is to see the marriage policy, because the marriage policy, which the Department of Home Affairs is developing and will release shortly, might say something different. And if it does, if there is a policy which basically seems to say that all marriages will have equal validity and all marriage officers must simply solemnize whichever type of marriage it is obviously that's going to be a big problem for the religious community because under the current legislation under section 31 of the marriage act there is a clear uh, exemption or if you like a conscientious objection clause which says that you can only uh, you only have to solemnized marriages which are in accordance with the tenets of your particular faith organization so it's even less than just the christian faith for example different faiths have different restrictions on who or who they will not recognize to be married even in the christian context and that is something which we believe otherwise must be in this final statute. it's in every other marriage statutes when you look at all the international examples it's there why isn't it in the uh, law reform commission's draft bills we don't know We're going to wait and see, but you can be sure that we're going to be commenting on it and advising on it once we get clarity.
0: So if you guys are going to wait and see, I mean, I'm just thinking of pastors that are listening in right now. Uh, Is your general kind of advice at this stage, wait and see, and as soon as you guys start to raise the flag, um, wave a red flag, then everyone rush to uh, to the same banner at the same time?
1: That would be our start of advice, yes, because at the moment, frankly, we don't know what this is going to look like. We have done a detailed evaluation of the um, Law Reform Commission's discussion paper. So we've looked at the bills. Uh, we obviously have a whole, if you like, set of uh, submissions in the process of preparation uh, to put forward in that. But unless and until I think we see what the policy is, which will obviously then speak into what the bill is going to consist of, or at least how it's going to be interpreted then we can't be sure and frankly you know you don't want to cry wolf uh, i think too often unfortunately uh, somebody cries wolf about something and it turns out to be a false alarm and all that does is it just makes people get in a panic and then it's oh it's not. and then when you do really have some uh, big issue that you need to raise your hand out and pull the alarm bell uh, then people are going oh well we did it last time and it didn't happen and then the next thing is you find yourself in a in a real problematic situation mm-hmm. so yeah let's wait and see Um, We're going to find out sooner than later because they say that in April, they're going to be releasing this policy uh, On marriage. So the draft at least. So let's just wait and see
0: Michael, I know that you guys have your eye on a lot of balls There's always a lot happening in the national discussion. There's always a lot happening uh, with government You guys are needing to interact and engage on a number of topics. Uh, Just in short Is there anything else that's on your radar at the moment?
1: Yeah, a big bleeping flash on the radar is just before Easter, which is always a a bit of a warning sign when uh, something is released just before Easter, when everybody's eye is not on the ball. Uh, The Department of Justice released the Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act Amendment Bill. What a mouthful. Mm. Uh, The bill, by the way, is typically known as PAPUDA um, (laughs) or sometimes the Equality Act. And they've released an amendment on this. They released it on the 26th of March and basically this quite dramatically expands the scope of the Equality Act which we have seen and we have experienced is probably the most dangerous act when it comes to religious freedom. And typically in the way that we look at it, this could be something which would really have a very chilling effect on religious freedom in South Africa. So again, we are taking a lot of time to really evaluate it. We are looking around and, and and accessing our connections, not only in South Africa, we're looking at academics, we're looking at global expertise on this. And we are evaluating it closely to really analyse the, the threat level, which we at the moment would peg as pretty high. But again, we think that it's best to be informed before you speak. And when you do speak, to have a very clear strategy of what to do, because there's no doubt about it. Uh, this bill will absolutely need to be opposed and it will need to be strongly opposed in its current form, because if not, it will be probably the most serious threat to religious freedom that we have yet seen, and that is quite significant.
0: So, Michael, you've raised my interest as I've heard you speaking. Um, I, I would like to maybe go and read the bill or find out a little bit more about the bill. How, where can I go to engage uh, a, a, a little bit more on this uh, on papuda bill?
1: Well, if if it isn't there already, I will make sure it's up today. Uh, But we will put it up on our website. Uh, We have a resource file and we put it under the Papuda Amendment Bill uh, category. And you can then just simply download and see what government has said. Uh, What, of course, we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a pro forma submission, which will be, if you like, the sort of nuggets of the main concerns that we have, which we would then absolutely encourage people uh, to write to government and to make your voices heard, because that's what we can do. And by the way, um, originally, the date for the bill was the 12th of May, the, the, the end of the discussions on it was supposed to be the 12th of May, which is obviously very, very quick. We wrote uh, already to the Department of Justice, and we have, for 4SA, ob- obtained an extension until the 30th of June, which is good, because we need time to look at this, and other people need time, obviously, to have their say and to make sure that they understand the implications of it so yes uh we will be producing in due course a pro forma submission which will help people engage we're going to be alerting the religious community broadly will be no doubt in the media uh, on a much broader level about this but initially what we want to do is we want to make sure that we have all our proverbial ducks in a row so we really know what we're talking about so we're not just simply as i say crying wolf Mm. Uh, unless there really is a wolf. And frankly, I think there really is a wolf. The question is, how big is it? How dangerous is it? And what can we do to stop it?
0: Mm. Excellent. Thank you so much, Michael. Really appreciate speaking to you this morning, as always. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Thank you, Mark. Always a blessing and a pleasure to be on your show.
0: Every blessing, brother. Cheers. Well, listeners, as you are listening in, I have no doubt that you enjoyed the first segment as we spoke about the state of the nation. Let me talk to you about what is coming next. And I'm going to pose a question right up front. Uh, that can start to get your mind ticking if you have a Bible you can open it to the book of Ruth for a start Ruth is in your Old Testament it's a book of history so it's near the beginning Uh, check your index if you need to find it Uh, the book of Ruth if you turn there it's just four chapters we're going to be looking at that during the course of the discussions today as I speak to my friend Jeff Gage the question that I'd like you to start thinking about, and you can even start to respond right now using mechanisms that I'm going to give you shortly. Is this here comes the question What is the message of Ruth? And how did you get there? How did you discern what the message of Ruth was? If you summarize the message of Ruth up into, let's say, one or two sentences, um, how did you discern? what that message was what mechanism did you use very interested to hear what you might have to say about the uh, the book of Ruth let me tell you how you can get in contact with us you can get in contact with us on facebook we are on radio pulpit radio console there is a facebook page and we are currently streaming from the facebook page we are on twitter at 657 am is the twitter handle and then we are on both whatsapp and telegram and can i tell you the voice notes that have been coming in on whatsapp have been really cool to listen to thank you for everybody who chatted last week the number is write this down now 082 657 2729 I will put them in the comments on Facebook in case uh, you would like to connect with us uh, on WhatsApp um, but you can connect with us and, and start by answering that question what is the message of Ruth and how did you get there let me introduce you to the guest that I have next to me today uh, he is Jeff Gage Jeff and I have a, a friendship that goes back many years we have also had the opportunity to serve next to one another in varying different forms over years Uh, most recently Jeff has actually been coming out on a Thursday night and teaching at a Bible study that we run training for Bible study and church leaders at Crystal Park Baptist Church and he has been taking us through mechanisms through tools of how to dig deeper into God's word, um, you know fancy word, Christianese, um, he's been taking us through uh, hermeneutics and homiletics, the, the art and the science of both reading with understanding God's word and then the art and the science of delivering that um, to an audience um, and so Jeff obviously you and I know each other, i really Keen for the listeners to get to know you a little bit as well So, you know, in terms of the introduction I pr- probably also need to say that you are The Program Director for Southern Africa For an organization called Word Partners w- What does Word Partners do, brother? Yeah,
2: no, thanks Mark uh, It is great to be here with you um, And the, the word, word Partners is really about Wanting to um, see the Word of God flow powerfully through every church to every nation. Uh, it's about uh, redeeming the pulpits. It's about equipping pastors to be able to preach the Word with confidence and with clarity and with the uh, intention uh, that God has uh, for and through His Word. And so we, we that's the Word part of our name, but we are Word partners because we do this by working in partnership Uh, with those in country in various uh, countries. We're working in 63 or so uh, different countries at the moment in the world. Um, My focus is on sub-Saharan Africa and uh, as we do that the idea is that we develop the trainers, uh, pastors in those countries to train others. So we're equipping them to be trainers of trainers uh, so that they, at some point, will be able to uh, take full ownership of the of the ministry and be equipping pastors throughout their nation, establishing national teams of uh, of trainers uh, in these tools in those countries um, for example in in Ethiopia, uh, there are fifty five training groups happening all over the country of Ethiopia, every one of them led by Ethiopians.
0: That is so cool. So you get to go through from time to time to Sub-Saharan Africa and train trainers. Right. Right. Um, uh, amazing, and and the kind of training that you've been giving to those guys, similar to the training that we've been experiencing on Thursday night, yep. and and some of those tools you're going to be presenting to listeners uh, yep. today as we go through the Book of Ruth. Yeah, again, guys, open up your Bibles to the Book of Ruth. This will be a great opportunity to get a masterclass on how these four chapters are. Are stitched together How they fit together And how they fit Into the wider framework Of God's word I'm looking forward to this Because mm. I've actually Gone through the Book of Ruth uh, With you yeah. um, On more than one occasion Maybe three occasions uh, At right. Etwatua At a training class That was there right. At Crystal Park yeah. um, And with Midrand Chapel Another another church mm-hmm. um, uh, That uh, that you did the, A similar kind of course And, and yep. you went through A series of Tools in order to help people to understand uh, what is happening in God's Word Before we get to the tools, right? Um, uh, Beyond Word Partners You are a husband of one wife a father of five kids and you are a grandfather Brother, when I don't, did that happen? We're getting old. Well, that beard, you know, kind of—you got that whole father Abraham, you know, father of many sons look going. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, so, yeah. Um, and, and you attend a church in the deep south, um, mm-hmm. a friend church of ours, Brackeners Baptist Church. Right. Uh, Pastor Doug Fronmierter, he was on a few weeks ago talking about hope in a hopeless world Mm. And uh, Tommy van der Volt is also uh, a member uh, at uh, Brackenhurst Baptist Church He was on talking about the marks of a healthy church a couple of weeks ago Good men Okay, so disproportionate number of people from Brackenhurst Baptist Church uh, (laughs) (laughs) on Radio Pulpit Okay, we need to to make a shout out to other sister churches (laughs) And bring in more men (laughs) So, okay. brother, when we start talking about Ruth, and and yeah. when we approach any book of the Bible, because uh, Ruth is one book, it's a it's a bite-sized book, because it's four chapters, and mm-hmm. so it's you can handle it in the time that we have uh, on the show today, to one degree or another. Mm. But when you when you approach God's Word with a desire to understand what a book actually says, mm. not just what you read on a Facebook meme, one verse taken out of context and maybe applied in a myriad of different ways and sometimes incorrectly, but, but when you really are wanting to, to chew on a book and understand a book and, and see God in a book, where do you start?
2: Yeah, that's the question, right? So I open my Bible, I come to the book of Ruth and I say, okay, well, the first thing to do is read. Uh, and and read the book and read the book and and keep reading it. Um, it, it sounds so basic, so obvious, but of course, uh, if we're not actually reading it, then we are not going to really understand it. Our eye might catch something here or there, um, and uh, and we dis- make it a something that it's not. It's out of proportion. Uh, so so read the book. But I think the first thing, the first uh, principle or the first tool that is important to use is that of genre. Uh, genre is not a word everybody uses all the time, but it simply refers to types, and in this case, a type of literature. Um, what kind of literature is this? Um, God has has given us a, a rich variety of literature in the Bible there are there's laws and there's proverbs and there's gospel and there's narratives and there's parables and there's prophecies and there's poetry and right Uh, there's just a whole uh, array of literature that God's given to us and that's God's kindness to us because different genre speaks to us in different ways it's all God's word but how we get the message comes through the genre that the author has chosen to use to make his point so we have to first of all know what kind of book am i reading we come to the book of ruth what kind of book is ruth what kind of literature is ruth and how does that affect the way i read it how does that affect the way i come to understand its main point or its message uh, for for God's people.
0: When you talk about genre, I've heard you use analogies in the past um, mm-hmm. of eating fruit, yeah. um, like Ruth being a banana, and I don't know, the book of laws being, you know, the books of yeah. law being an orange, and um, the Pauline epistles, the letters in the New Testament being strawberries. <laughs> um and that you eat a strawberry different to a banana, different to a nachi, right? You, right? You you do you, you bite into a strawberry and you love the sweetness. You love the the taste and the texture and everybody loves strawberries. Um but but if you just bite into a banana you're gonna be sitting with a problem because right. who likes the skin? If you right. if you're gonna if you're gonna enjoy a banana you need to peel it first and once you've peeled the skin, uh, you expose the, the the fleshy part of the banana. You get to eat and devour the banana and enjoy Enjoy the carbs that bananas give you, um, and so too is true of of the genres in God's word that we that we we need to approach Paul's letters in a slightly different way uh, to the Book of Ruth. Have I kind of like got yeah, the explanation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, am I a good student? Yeah, here? very good, Mark. <laughs> very good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh, It's all good fruit to eat, but you don't get at the fruit to eat it in the same way. Some you have to peel. Some, if you try to eat a pineapple the way you eat the strawberry, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to do damage. Um, And so the different genre in Scripture is that way. There are different ways that the genre gets you the goods, that it delivers the the message uh, to you. So uh, we look at um, uh, Ruth, for example, and we have uh, here a narrative. It's historical narrative. So what is historical narrative? Uh, It's basically a story. Uh, It it really happened because it's a, a narrative, it's a historical narrative, but it's told in the form of a story. So we're not looking, we know then if we read Ruth, we have to read it as a story. Now, if you take any story and you read it, and you only uh, dip into it here and there, and you pull little statements out of it here and there, you're going to miss the story. You might come up with some quotable quotes, mm. but you're going to miss the story. You're going to miss the real point of the story. Uh, if if you only read halfway through, uh, if from the beginning of the story you make up your mind what the story is about, you're probably gonna miss the story. You have to read the whole story. There's a, there's a unity of plot uh, in a story. And that's what you're looking for with narrative. Um, and so much of the Bible is narrative. That's why I w- wanna talk about this one today and use Ruth as an example. Um, so much of the Bible is told in this story form, historical narrative. And so you have to read it as a story. It's not giving us propositional truth. It's not giving us uh, a logical argument. It is telling a story. And stories are wonderful because stories invite us in to some of the experience of what's going on. Stories connect with us um, in a way that is beyond just uh, our uh, intellectual engagement, but they They reach us at a at a different level. They reach us in the experiences of life um, and what would it be like for me to be there how How did these people walk with god what What was God doing? How was God guiding the history in his providence to get a particular message across
0: mm. No, I mean even as you're saying that that's true I've been reading stories since I was six seven years old and stories have this amazing way of just kind of like hitting us in the heart uh, mm. talking to our emotions as well as to our imagination as well as to kind of every part of us they draw us in and they and they, and they help us to, to see and to smell and to enjoy um, everything that's in front of us a couple of uh, a couple of comments have already come in uh, I do want to just uh, um, uh, read one or two of them out um, we had a comment coming in from uh, Kimberly The message of Ruth is that you must be ruthless look after the poor and you might find your wife <laughs> Thanks for that, uh, Kim yes. from Kimberley. Uh, really nice to hear from you. We also had Graham from Grahamstown. I'm picking up a trend here um, along uh, along the, the folk that are answering. And Justin B has sent in a WhatsApp. We will listen to that. Uh, we'll listen to that now and and, uh, and possibly play it. Um, so uh, Ruth is about finding a wife, taking care of the poor,
2: and being ruthless. Uh huh. I'm not sure about the ruthless part, but because uh, <laughs> Ruth is there, it's not without Ruth. Ruthless. Ha ha ha. Yeah, trying to play on the play. The um, but yeah, there's definitely taking care of the poor happening in this book, right? Mm. Um, uh, Boaz certainly um, has uh, found a wife uh, mm. by the end of the book. Those things are taking place. Yes. So now the question is, how does the author use those elements in the story? To bring across the message mm. is are those things the main message, mm. or are they part of the story that is bringing across a message? So we always want to be asking the question: Why? Why does he talk about this care for the poor? What What is the purpose of this Boaz and Ruth uh, marriage in the end? Um, so we're always so we're, we're always uh, digging deeper to get at why are these elements in the story are they the point of the story or are they uh, developing a larger point uh, yes. to the story so that's great but that's how you begin you begin by noticing what's there mm. digging out what is there and then seeing how the author puts it together in the story mm. enjoying it I,
0: and and i guess as we thinking through genre and as we thinking of these different elements uh, of God's word as we come particularly to Ruth uh, we said that this is a a narrative this is a story how does how does this genre differ again um, substantially from a letter how how, how, you know somebody might be opening to the book of Ruth right now and uh And they now committed to read these four chapters, maybe they've even started reading while while we've been talking. How does this differ to other parts of scripture uh, that they need to take into account as they're reading through chapter one, chapter two, mm. chapter
2: three, chapter four? So you need to take into account how how stories work, right? how stories make their point uh in a story you've got you've got elements of characters. Who are who are acting and interacting uh, you've got uh, setting you've got places uh, and movement movement of characters movement of places um, can be key to understanding how the story is developing uh, but then thirdly you've got this matter of tension mm. there's always some tension in a good story um, if I, if I just say the girl went out into the fields and picked flowers and danced around and the wind blew through her hair and she came back in the house, I, I haven't told you a story. <clears throat> I've given you a description mm. of something that happened, but I haven't told you a story. Story always has this element of tension. There's some tension that gets introduced at the beginning of the story. And that tension uh, continues to rise and develop through the course of the story till it reaches a climax, a point of crisis, a point where uh, the tension is so high, something happens that brings resolution to the tension. Give me a couple of well-known stories and the climaxes
0: just so that we, we, we understand what we're talking about before we zero in on the Book of Ruth. Yeah. Now now we are about to find the kinds of stories that you watch Uh or or read.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you take any, uh, like, police drama, very simple, right? Mm. There's a crime that's committed. Mm. So the tension now is, are they going to be able to find the criminal, Mm. right, and bring justice? And so... Uh, through the course of the story, the events happen in many different ways. Mm. The The genius of story is there's uh, a unlimited number, it seems, of ways in which the tension can rise between characters, between places, uh, with the evidence, whatever. And the story goes along until the the climactic point... Usually some type of a chase. I was gonna say <laughs> shoot out seeing a chase scene.
0: I'm seeing a guy There's like exactly. dimly lit room and
2: yeah, right and then and then the resolution They've got the guy in cuffs. Mm. They've solved the case. They mm. found the kidnapped girl. They Whatever the point of tension was that gets resolved mm. um, And that's what that's what brings satisfaction to the story now How that tension gets dealt with and develops, what is the climactic event that brings about the resolution, that's the main point of the story.
0: I guess I, I quite enjoy the genre of uh, of uh, fantasy, Lord of the Rings, yep. those kinds of things, you've got a group of people, they go on a big quest, the, the tension is the quest gets harder and harder and harder until eventually there is a hobbit above a Flaming Lake, and the question is: Will the ring land in the lake of fire? Right. And it does, and then you have resolution. You know, right. People get married. People return home, um, happily ever after. The, right. the The tension is resolved. the The climax has happened. The resolution comes into play. Right,
2: right, and then that's the point of the story. Um, I, I often, uh, in the in the story itself, uh, the genre of story. Also gives a structure mm. to the to the story. Um, I always like to to tell the old uh, missionary story about this guy, this missionary who was he had to cross the Zambezi River, mm. right, to get to the village he was going to preach the gospel in. And all he has is this little dugout canoe and he starts across the Zambezi in this dugout canoe and the waters flowing and he's paddling and as he's getting across he's out in the middle and the hippos start to surface all around him and so now he's really paddling hard and he getting to the shore and the hippos are coming snorting grunting under the water after him he gets jumps out of the canoe on the shore just as the hippos are landing on the canoe smashing it to pieces And as he walks along the shore, he sees crocodiles start to come toward him. And so now he's running up the bank of the river, and the crocodiles are chasing him, snapping at him. He finds a huge tree. He starts to climb up this tree, and the crocodiles are snapping at his heels. He finally makes it up into the tree, and... He feels something pulling on his leg. (laughs) And there's a big snake wrapped around his leg, pulling and pulling on him, trying to get him out of this tree. And as the snake is pulling on his leg and pulling on his leg... It's just what I'm doing to you now. <laughs> I'm tension, pulling your leg.
0: Tension release the climax is the guy in the tree with the snake pulling my
2: leg. <laughs> right. But okay. The, so there in that story, you the climax and resolution is it's just a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. But, but you
0: feel the relief. But see, we we need we need to play laughter in the background whenever we crack really really good jokes on the show. <laughs> yeah, we need a laugh track. So so, Jeff, we, we've got a couple of people that uh, that have also offered um, um, kind of main ideas, big picture of the book of Ruth yeah, um, and how they got there uh, Glenn Williams, Glenn, it is good to have you on brother um, He is a regular listener, he says Ruth is about God's covenant faithfulness Displaying how God works in everyday lives of his people and what human response of faithfulness ought to look like all looking forward to the Kingsman Redeemer, who would come to redeem mankind. I'm, I'm really liking that. That's got a whole lot packed in. It. Was that just two sentences? No. <laughs> but, but that, that's great stuff. Uh, great stuff, Glenn. Uh, we're going to hear from uh, Justin B. Uh, he sent in a voice note via WhatsApp.
2: Justin from Crystal Park Baptist Church and I find that um with my children Convincing them that this is an actual an account of uh, what happened in history uh, our, our good book is uh, sometimes
0: uh, the tricky bit um, to, to get them to visualize that these things actually took place um, in their younger minds Hey Justin that is that is actually a really great observation. I guess it takes us even, even one step before coming to interpretation. Just recognizing that as we approach this genre, we've already said that this is a story. We've said that this is history. Um, mm. wh- what are the elements that as we read the Book of Ruth, what are the elements that convince us that this is a true story, that this isn't a metaphor, this isn't an allegory, but this is a, this is a piece of history? How, how, how might we begin by answering that uh, for Justin before we start to, yeah. to plow into other aspects of the
2: genre? Yeah, well, the writer uh, of the book of Ruth himself is setting this in a particular historical context. Mm. Uh, It's uh, chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And uh, it's about Bethlehem, and it's about these real people who live in this real town of Bethlehem. Back in the days of the judges and what was going on, how they traveled to Moab and how they... uh, uh, some of them uh, come back um and so the the whole setting is there and then it it actually ends with a genealogy tracing the line uh, of these people through to David um mm. and so you've got you've got real historical people in real historical places set in a real historical time um and god is uh, of course uh, being god's story uh, we can we can trust the historicity of this more than any other written history uh, since God has recorded this, because God is not only having the writer record the events that happened, but he is also the one who has providentially ordered the events and then had them recorded Uh, so that we would get the message that he was giving to us through the history and now through the written record of that history. Mm. So... As we approach
0: Ruth, we see elements of history which help us to put this particular story into its original context, yes which not only helps us understand what's happening as the characters engage because we we, we can we get a feel for the for the time and the places that they 're talking about, but it also helps us to engage with the watching world and say but Take a take a look. The, 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 this isn't a metaphor. This isn't a dream. It's not that type of genre. Th- right. This is a this is a record of historical events, and it's mm-hmm. recorded the way that we would record historical events. Mm-hmm. Um, people's names are on display. Um, the the characters aren't always the heroes, you know. Sometimes, I, I mean, I'm just thinking of Naomi, um, who really the the book is about. Um, mm-hmm. And Naomi isn't portrayed in the best possible way, you know. She's right. not this, this 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 shining example of angelic brilliance. Um, she's portrayed as a <laughs> as a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, as much of the other narratives of God's word portray mm-hmm. the human protagonists as mm-hmm. just real people that make big mistakes and Hmm. need God's grace. Um, Yeah. Uh, Excellent uh, question um, uh, that came in from Justin. I I see uh, Ishwar does also ask a question regarding the characters uh, of this particular narrative and says, any idea uh, on the age difference between Boaz and Ruth? Uh, Seems like he's much older and just interested to know.
2: Um, Not really. Hmm. Um, Yeah, the text doesn't really tell us that. I think what you're noticing there is true. He does seem to be older simply because he makes the comment later to Ruth that you haven't chosen one of the young men. Yes. And so Boaz seems to be a more mature uh, man. Um, Certainly in reference to the guys that are in the field collecting. The, he's the boss, yeah. he's the owner, yeah. he's the. he seems to be, yeah.
0: But, but she probably shouldn't be described as a very young woman either in that
2: she has previously been married. Right. Yeah. Come right.
0: out of uh, right.
2: Moab. They were in Moab for 10 years. Mm. So, uh, you know, she she's of some of some age if they yeah. married yeah. early there. Oh, that's,
0: that's, very, that, that's helpful to note as well. Mm. So, Jeff, you were talking about the genre of narrative mm. and that Ruth is a narrative, this is a story and, and then you spoke about some elements of a good story mm. uh, you gave us your hippo and snake um, uh, analogy we spoke about Lord of the Rings and Law and Order um, in terms of just describing what good stories uh, kind of sound like and look like um, as you come to the book of Ruth where do you find the beginning of the tension? Um, I'm guessing you know that that will be relatively easy to identify. Mm. And what does the kind of rising action mm. of the mm. Book of Ruth look like?
2: Mm. So one of the great ways to to approach a narrative in Scripture. Now that you've you've done the first step, you've identified the narrative you're looking at who are the characters so in ruth there's a number of different characters but you always want to consider who are the main characters um who are the characters that that stay throughout the story or get introduced at some point and continue to the end now you're looking at that you're looking at naomi you're looking at ruth and you're looking at boaz really the three main characters their interactions what's happening there with with them um, and a good way to, to consider that, that interaction is to compare the beginning of the story with the end of the story. Mm. Now, if you're reading a mystery novel, you probably don't want to read the end <laughs> before you read the whole thing. Yes. Because that's part of how a mystery novel works, is the surprise and the, the slow reveal of the elements. But if we're wanting to get at what the message of a book of Scripture is... If we compare the beginning and the end um, you see that it's in this these days of famine time of the judges and uh, this man and his wife uh, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons they go to Moab where there is food and uh, while they're there the two sons get married they marry Orpah and Ruth But then the husband dies, Elimelech. Then the two sons die. And now you have three widows who are left. Meanwhile, uh, in verse 6 of chapter 1, she heard from Moab that uh, the Lord had visited his people and given them food again. So now they can go back to their home, back into the promised land. And so she goes, and the two Moabite daughter-in-laws come with her. But she says, you can't. You can't come with me. You need to go home. Find rest at your own homes, back in your family's homes. Um, and they say, no, we want to go with you. And then Naomi speaks of something that might be strange to our ears. And she says, um, do I have, in verse 11, do I have yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? turn and go back. I'm too old to have a husband. I'm not going to provide, I'm not going to be able to bear sons. And even if I did, are you going to wait till they're grown up before you marry them? And so what is all that? Can't Mm. they just find some other guy? What is all that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's here's where uh, one of our principles, one of our tools is traveling instructions. Okay. Where we need to go back uh, into earlier scripture to see where is this Coming from, mm. and what Naomi is referring to here is from, um, it is from uh, Deuteronomy, in the Levirate marriage. Okay. So if uh, a husband died, a brother would take responsibility for that wife, even to raising up children to that. Um, um, the late husband's name. Mm. That all had to do with Israel's uh, inheritance laws and the, the whole system that God had set up for Israel in the land. Um, and Naomi's referring to this. So so on the one hand, Naomi is thinking biblically okay. that this is how things should be handled, but I'm not going to have children. You can't wait till they're grown, even if I did. So therefore, just go back to your families and you can marry some Moabite. You won't if you come into the land with me, you'll be subject to Israel's laws, to God's law. And so uh, Orpah goes back, Ruth stays. What is interesting is that uh, Naomi um, says in verse fifteen to Ruth See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now, there's where we see something a little wrong with Naomi's thinking. Mm-hmm. That, yes, if you come into the land, you'll be subject to the laws, and the Levirite marriage law is is in place here. But why not just go back, not just to your people, but to your gods mm-hmm. also? Um. Naomi doesn't see what God is doing here in bringing a gentile into relationship with himself and his people. But Ruth says, "No, I'll go where you go, your people will be my people, my your God will be my God." Yes, there's a there's a conversion, if we can say it that way, of Ruth here where she is embracing uh the lord he's she's embracing yahweh and will stay with uh naomi so now the so what's the tension that gets set up there you've got um naomi uh thinking uh, only about the laws of god in her own land um but you've got ruth coming and becoming a a servant uh, of this true God in Israel. And they come back, and Naomi, the people welcome Naomi, and she says, don't call me that, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She speaks about the hand of the Lord going out against her. Mm. So Naomi is feeling like God has been against her. Dealt bitterly, unkindly with her, and it gets summed up in her statement, which really uh, captures the, the the tension that's going on. Uh, are are they going to get husbands? Are, is someone going to care for them? That that's part of the problem. But she says in chapter one, verse twenty-one, "I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full." but the Lord brought me back empty. She had a husband, she had sons. Now she's come back, she has none of those. But think about her her mindset there. I went away full. It was a time of famine. So the land was empty, but she felt full. Mm -hmm. She comes back and it's barley harvest, the beginning of the barley harvest. Now the land is full but she feels empty. Mm. And the one thing she's missing is this. I've been brought back empty. And there's Ruth. Hello, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Naomi's empty. She doesn't consider Ruth, who, by the way, is always being called Ruth the Moabite. Mm. um, Sorry. Doesn't consider her uh, in the work of God through her, in in any provision, mm. and so there's this sense of this emptiness. God's dealt bitterly with me. I see what what happens. That that tension now. That story, a widow, without a husband, without provision, who is empty, who has lost everything. That that draws us in.
0: Mm. Jeff, we we're gonna go to. Um, a music interlude shortly. Um, but but even as we, even before we do, let me say, like I, I'm listening to the story of Ruth, and I've heard the story many times before. But but as I'm, I'm thinking through the story of Ruth. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through the emptiness. I'm thinking through the difficulty that many people might be even facing now, mm. starting to see the the realities of of how the story is starting to even speak to my own heart speak to our own context what what we as South Africans are are going through what many people might be experiencing I guess the danger is to to jump the gun and start applying the book even before we understand the book but that's the way that stories work don't they they, mm. they elicit emotions in our minds they they we read our experiences and think about our experiences and start to relate and to connect with the characters in the book and um, right. certainly have discovered tension in the Book of Ruth and at the beginning of the Book of Ruth that resonates deeply um, even with the lived experience of of many people that might be listening in today we're going to continue through this wonderful book of God's word um after a break we're going to be listening now to keep this prayer alive by Louis Brittz. <laughs> Well listeners, it's really great to be with you uh, on this Friday morning, Uh, enjoy your company and enjoy your engagement and interactions. Uh, this morning, together with Jeff Gage from Word Partners, we are looking at the book of Ruth, looking at the book of Ruth and, and we've really asked the question, what is the message of Ruth? What is the message of Ruth? And then secondly, h- how did you get there? I mean, how did you go about deciding what the overall message of a book of the Bible is? How do you find... The actual intent of God's word that's really what Jeff is helping us do and we would love you to engage with us we'd love you to to maybe write down your own message of Ruth summarized two sentences would be great Um, and tell us how you got to that um, overall message you can do that on Facebook the web page is Radio Pulpit or Radio Console you can find us on Twitter the handle is at 657am as well as whatsapp and telegram here's the telephone number find a pen and paper and write it down it is 0826572729 let me repeat that 0826572729 we really are looking forward to hearing from you Jeff just before the break we were talking about both the beginning and the end of the book and we're going to get to I'm guessing the end of Ruth we've been speaking about emptiness we've been speaking about the beginning of the book we've been speaking about yeah, you know, just the kind of like the emotional turmoil that Naomi clearly is in and the valiant um, uh, g- response of, of Ruth to her mother-in-law um, uh just before we do that let's listen to Cozy. Greetings in the name of Jesus is Gogo Hanna from Crystal Park uh, Baptist Church Could you please explain what the name Naomi means if she could change her
1: name to Maram because the Lord had done bitterly with her thank you
0: mm. and I guess the use of names thank you Gogo Hanna it's always lovely to have you on you're also a regular listener and love hearing your voice sister Um. Yeah, we, we we talk about um, we talk about names in the Old Testament. Often names have meaning. Often the meaning of those names are used in the narrative elements of the book in order to accentuate or highlight a particular characteristic that the author is wanting to get across. Well, what kind of meaning and what kind of names do we see in the book of Ruth?
2: Yeah, that that is uh, very often the case. And here uh, Naomi means uh, pleasant. Uh, There's a little footnote at the bottom of the page in my Bible uh, that helps me know that um, uh, apart from going and doing some other uh, digging and and looking at uh, name meanings. But her name means pleasant, but call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Um, And so, uh, you know, name changes also in the Bible. When God changes someone's name, that's significant. Uh, talking about his work in their life from Abram to Abraham Sarai to Sarah uh those type of things mm. here Naomi changes her own name uh to match the way she feels God has dealt with her um and uh and uh, the, the it's interesting here at the beginning to see that from pleasant to bitter Um, So, she's indicating she has become bitter because of how bitterly God has dealt with her. Um, um, And so, at the beginning, we see this, the characters, the setting, and the tension is introduced to us, right, through all of these different elements uh, of the narrative, even the name that's being changed there. so so the question becomes now okay which which of these elements that we notice at the beginning is the is the real tension and point that the book is working toward and working on mm. um is, is ruth looking for a husband um it do- doesn't seem like she is seems like her sister orpa was that's why she went back she said well i can't hang around and wait for naomi to have a son for me to marry so she goes back, but Ruth says, "I'm going to cling to you. I'm I'm staying with you. I'm serving your God." Ruth comes into this with seeming to be a, a loyalty not only to Naomi but to Yahweh, and, um, and and she's not necessarily looking for a husband. Now, um, getting a husband is going to happen through the story, right? But the 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 tension is that which we're going to see get resolved uh toward the toward the end um and that's the benefit of going to the end mm. because if i if I think that the the real issue here is going to be um there's a there's a Gentile coming into bethlehem then if that's going to affect the way I read the story and i'm probably going to read things in and i might miss the actual the
0: big picture point of the story yeah. yeah
2: yeah um is is ruth finding a husband really the the main point right um is is ruth about uh, um Principles for Christian Dating, or… <laughs> <laughs> the, the title of my, my forthcoming book, yeah. soon to be released. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's some things in Ruth that I don't want my daughters doing, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> laying at some guy's feet in the middle of the night. So, um, so what is really happening here? So you notice this significance of the name change, of this bitterness, of this from fullness to empty. Um, going on. So, th- so then let's go to the end. If we go to the end of the book and we see, okay, which of these uh, possible tensions or problems is really the main point of the narrator? Mm. Uh, we'll we'll see how it comes through. So, if we jump to chapter four uh, and pick it up at verse nine, um, uh, Boaz says to the elders. So now there's this man Boaz who's been introduced. Uh, at some point. Your witnesses, I've bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Chilion and Malon, the guys who died, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his brothers, from his native place, your witnesses this day. So back to that Levirate right marriage so boaz becomes the one who buys naomi's inheritance who gets ruth as his wife to raise up children to her husband's name uh boaz is the one who steps in uh and uh secures all of this for these widows um and so that that gets resolved this this problem of it's not just ruth getting a husband but it is the whole redemption of their situation mm. um, that needed to take place. He does that. Everyone, or we say, we're witnesses. The the ladies are saying, um, uh, "Make her like Rachel and Leah, building the house of Israel, um, like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah," um, referring to to the progress of God's covenant through Abraham, being fruitful and multiplying. Here, Ruth the Moabite is going to come into the line yes. and be part of the line um, that God has been building from Abraham.
0: And I know I'm jumping the gun yeah. We've been reading through the book of Luke, uh, book of Luke the book of Matthew uh, as part of our kind of church Bible reading uh, program, hmm. recently uh, in anticipation for Easter read through the gospel of Mark and uh, uh, I've been personally reading through the gospel of Luke and you see embedded in this greater line, a line that you know at this stage of the narrative um, Ruth probably can't anticipate, Boaz probably doesn't see um, but in this greater line <laughs> you start to see yeah. the integration of this Moabites into and this is just staggering mm. that the line of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior mm. uh, you're just kind of like lump in your throat stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on brother. Yeah,
2: Exactly and uh, so in verse 13 uh, Boaz takes Ruth becomes his wife um, they have a son. The women uh, bless the Lord uh, because of this. And but notice in verse 14, mm. the women said to Naomi. So again, uh, the Naomi has felt bitterness from the Lord yes. and become bitter. Now in the end, using this redemption through Boaz, this marriage of Ruth and Boaz, a son is born. And the women say to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse and the women and neighbors saying a son has been born to Naomi yes uh-huh so so the story of ruth and boaz and that marriage taking place is about something bigger mm. than just their relationship um it's 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 more than just their love story it's how god has provided a redeemer To secure the inheritance to restore her and now Naomi is gone from being um, full to being empty and now being full once again because now a son she lost her sons she came back empty now her arms are filled with this child it kind of turns the
0: the the reader who just approaches the book Flippantly it it kind of turns the book on its head a little bit I mean the book is named Ruth all of a sudden mm-hmm. the book is is Whilst Ruth is a central character is less about Ruth and more about her bitter mother-in-law who's who who Often one would maybe see in the shadows behind her and mm-hmm. um, you've got this Boaz character who really stands out in the book and and in many ways uh, We might talk of you know uh, Reflecting a type of, of a greater Boaz that is to come. And, and yet, even even he, in some ways, um, whilst being a central figure in the character, the, the actual plot line of the story really revolves around the unlikely character of an embittered mother in law mm. who's shaking her fist at God and is mm. very empty at the beginning of the story, mm. but seems to be so full <laughs> mm. at the end of the story. Mm. And yet, the book also does does point to the fact that it that it rests within a larger narrative because yeah. even as that story comes to an end, you have this lineage, David's genealogy from Judah's son, um, talking about Perez and Hezron and Amminadab and Salmon and Obed and then Jesse and then David and just this description of of David this this great and glorious king this man after God's own heart this yeah. man to whom a promise is made that one will sit on his throne mm. uh, for all eternity as mm. we look at the genealogies pointing back um from Jesus Christ we mm. see David and we see through David back to Boaz and back to to Ruth the Moabite mm. and, and and I guess you know, you know on, on the one hand the story isn't all that we think it is as we approach it it's not just a love story it's not 12 steps to dating well, <laughs> yeah. you know, finding a husband, um, uh, you, all of a sudden you've got these these greater themes of, as you've described them, emptiness and fulfillment, yeah. but you've also got this, this pointer to something which is happening in the wider story of God's right. narrative working out the scarlet thread throughout all of Scripture. Right.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, you've got the very last word of the book is David. So somehow this whole scenario... Brings us to David. What's significant about David? (laughs) Well, he's the king. Well, the book began saying, in the days of the judges. Mm. So, what was the problem in the days of the judges? There was no king in Israel. And through this family and their bitter experience, God brings the solution to the problem of the book of Judges.
0: Now, I, I don't want to rush you Because I know you've got a very carefully thought out plan But I am looking at the time And I see we've got about half an hour left to go mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and I do want to make sure That we get to the point where we find Application mm-hmm. For ourselves in this book mm-hmm. And um, I mean you, you, you've you spoken about some Elements that resonate with anybody Who's listening and yet that actually Might not be <laughs> the application That we need to find We've talked about e- emptiness We've talked about fulfillment we've talked about god using even this embittered situation ultimately to his glory but how does a prudent reader uh, a person who opens up the book of ruth who who reads these chapters who who goes through chapter one reads through th- chapter two sees this unfolding story of of Ruth's you know, using and leveraging even the laws of this new country that she's in, um, this new God that she's serving, uh, as we introduce to Boaz and to redemption uh, through chapter three, and we are introduced to this, to this, to this glorious wedding and this ultimate redemption act in chapter four. How do, how do I, as a reader of this story, actually go about finding? intended application not just an application that I left out of the page because it feels like it's my situation right but 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 actually what what was God's intention as you wrote this yep. and and therefore what should I be drawing out and what mm. can I mm. what can I go about applying in, mm. in my life
2: one of the one of the most important things to do there is to look at um, what what characters were in a narrative so in this story What characters experience transformation? Well, I think Naomi is the biggest one where we see the greatest transformation. There's transformation of Ruth that happened at the beginning uh, where she comes to, to the Lord. But Naomi is transformed from this empty bitterness to this fullness of joy. And then we have to ask ourselves, okay, how does the story get her there? Mm. How does that transformation take place? Because I know what it's like to experience some kind of emptiness. Mm. Every one of us does, right? Mm. Um, it may be empty cupboards and an empty wallet, mm. as as simple and material as that. Mm. It may be an empty chair at the table because of the loss of a loved one, a family member. Yeah. It may be emptiness of heart and no meaning and fulfillment in life. Whatever the emptiness, wouldn't it be great if we could experience the same thing Naomi did? In fact, in that emptiness, we might be considering that God has put his hand out against us. Mm. We might be considering that, that that God has dealt bitterly with us, and we mm. might become bitter yeah. toward him and toward the others around us. And so the story draws us in to connect with that, but we see the transformation of Naomi and say, wow wouldn't it be great mm. if God could do that in my heart, yes. in my life? Wouldn't it be great if pastors could, could shepherd people through that transformation? Mm. Um, so how do how do they get there? Yeah. Well, that's where you you read through the rest of the book and you, you just look at the beginning and end uh, of each chapter, and you see this empty to fullness idea. Um, chapter one, the beginning, there's famine. At the end, it's the beginning of barley harvest. Yeah, Chapter 2. Um, Naomi has this relative. Uh, Ruth the Moabite says, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. Uh, go, my daughter. Uh, she goes there and she gleans. And she meets Boaz. Boaz tells her, You have come to find rest under the shadow of the Lord's wings under the shadow of his wings. And he recognizes w- what's happening there, and he allows her to glean, in fact, make sure she gets more. And at the end, uh she comes home uh with a basket full of grain, right? Mm. I mean, she she in contact with Boaz, fullness begins to come. Yeah. And then in chapter three, uh, this issue of rest, Naomi says should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you," directs her to Boaz again. And she goes, she lies down at Boaz's feet, very cultural type of a, a custom that I don't recommend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I got two daughters who stay very far away from exactly. Ruth. It's like there's some crazy
0: stuff happening there, girls. <laughs>
2: exactly. But there's, but there's recognition of Boaz's compassion and integrity. Okay. Right? Yeah. In caring for her and the way he's protected her and provided already.
0: And, and maybe because my, my wife, who loves the book of Ruth and has worked through it a number of times, often points out to me just the danger that Ruth was in, being in that situation with young men all around. Um, uh, uh, notably Even as you read Through the book And as you think That this is a time That there was no king In the land If you read the book Of Judges It is a crazy time yeah. I mean Things are real yeah. um, and, and just how 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 Ruth really gets Because you used The word protection And how yeah. That picture is really One of protection Boaz protects Ruth um, But he also is is uh, protects his integrity and her integrity uh, mm-hmm. in the process. Mm-hmm. That that it is not a. It's actually not a not a not a bad picture at all. Right. It's, it's one of, it's one of of, of beauty and yeah. and and one of uh, of excellence. Yeah.
2: Especially when at his feet, she says, "Cover me with your wings." Mm. And it's uh, you know she uncovers his feet and, it's as if she's pulling the blanket over herself and then saying, "Bring me under the." F- the protection of your wings. Well, she's come under the protection of the Lord's wings, and now she uses that same illustration of uh, Boaz. And Boaz is the figure here who has the integrity, the compassion, demonstrating God's heart, even for this Moabite, Mm. for this widow, for Mm. this situation, according to, to God's word and uh, so he has that heart and then Naomi says I seek rest but then at the end she comes back again with six measures of grain um, empty to full again and at the end wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out for the man will not rest but will settle the matter today mm. Naomi seeking her rest mm. through this redeemer and he will not rest until he accomplishes it again and then in chapter four he he follows the he follows the word of god there's a closer relative who should do this let's give him the opportunity he presents it to him uh, he ends up refusing because he doesn't want to take ruth as uh, the moabite as his wife and so boaz takes her and then we're into the end of the story that we've already seen So every contact with the Redeemer brings fullness to the emptiness, ultimately securing, fulfilling the law for these widows and securing their inheritance and furthering the line um, for Naomi as much as for Ruth herself. And so you've just got this pattern of empty to full, empty to full, how do we move from emptiness to fullness? It's through the work of the Redeemer.
0: So I haven't been a great host because as it turns out people have been sending in questions the whole time and I've just enjoyed the conversation. So, <laughs> I've just been sitting listening to you, um, gaining some knowledge, looking at the top and the tail of each one of these chapters, growing in my appreciation of the book. Um, and I kind of got lost <laughs> in our conversation, forgetting that we've got we 're having a broader conversation with people yeah. uh, I, I just want to recognize folk that have uh, engaged Roland Eskenazi says that it is good to hear Jeff again grace in the ongoing ministry mm. um, A number of um, questions and uh, and comments and uh, thanks coming from Belinda to Besaw, uh anna uh, uh, Jean. Uh, says that she got her understanding in terms of what's going on in the book from a book that she's been reading Naomi and her daughters um, uh, Recently uh, she comes from Faith Baptist Church in Middleburg area, I think it's Middleburg Jean Fitbank, <laughs> Faith Baptist Church in Fitbank. And it's great to have you on. She's a regular listener. Lionel asked us to explain chapter two verse seven, which I think that you that we discussed in terms of Boaz mm. um and Naomi. Uh Brenda says good morning Mark. Lionel says uh, uh sends greetings, Jean sends greetings, Justin says that there is application even in this very broadcast, very, very grateful for that. Um yeah, just as we've been going through that, lots of people engaging with the content, obviously striking a nerve and the book has immediate and you can feel it application as the Mm. story is progressing as you're Mm. telling the story from from chapter 1 and then looking at the end to chapter Mm. 4 and explaining this emptiness and this fulfillment in chapter 4 and then going through each chapter, (laughs) emptiness, fulfillment, emptiness, fulfillment you can just see this and feel this rising toward the ultimate fulfillment at the end of the book and that clearly is resonating as people are listening in on us Jeff Yeah
2: yeah and and that's i I love the way you you put that that as we simply are telling the story the the impact of it the the point of it the mm. application of it, the transformational intent of it is already landing mm. uh, that's the way narratives work yes uh and we uh it's it's so important um that's why we work with pastors on this type of thing because we We can tend to try and take every book of the Bible and outline it, sure an outline isn't really how narrative works. There's not so much an outline to it. There's a flow of the story, the rising tension the the movement you notice the setting back and forth from Naomi's home to Boaz's field, from Naomi's home to Boaz's field, and then to the city gates mm. uh and where David will uh come uh the city of david in bethlehem so uh, there there's and to just tell the story uh, according to the narrative so i think that just take a notice of what we've done to help to help um better our reading of of narratives in the bible we simply looked at read the beginning mm-hmm. and we noted the characters we noted it was narrative so we noted the characters we noted the setting and we noted The tension then we looked at the end of the book to see how that tension gets resolved and that helps us zero in on the transformational intent uh, of God for us through this narrative and then we just went back and worked through the story and see how that tension rises and develops and how God's at work and how he's at work through this Redeemer uh, Boaz
0: Can we just talk about that phrase, transformational intent? Because I I, I think I've got an idea of what you're talking about But I'm I'm guessing if you're sitting at home and you've got your Bible open right now And you're kind of getting excited because you're seeing in the book of Ruth A narrative and a progression and you're seeing this big picture developing right before your eyes And you're getting excited because you're really understanding And you're coming to grips to one degree or another with the book And you're you're starting to get excited about this But you're not done yet because transformational intent is where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Now we've been speaking about um uh, the the this picture of Naomi going from emptiness to fullness and how even your desire would be for pastors to take congregations uh, on this on this route on this route how, mm-hmm. how did mm-hmm. this happen in Naomi's life so mm-hmm. that we might in a valid way Um, take people on this on the same kind of path Mm. but really you're aiming for transformational intent Do you want to Mm. maybe just talk a little bit about what transformational intent is why it's so important why we can't just be satisfied with knowing the Bible stories like we learned them in Sunday school but Mm. why transformational intent is so important Mm. to you and to me Mm. uh, and to everyone that's listening Mm.
2: so uh, it uh, transformation is the is god's intention for his word in our lives Um, psalm 19 the word of god revives the soul Uh, the 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 scriptures uh, are a mirror to us this the the word of god has power to transform us and only the word of god uh, has that power and so if if we're going to be uh faithfully proclaiming and preaching the word we also need to be shepherding people into the transformation that God intends which comes from the passage. So it's not the it's not the uh traditional approach to application where I where the preacher makes up some ways that this can apply. So uh, caring for the poor is is a big part of this story. Mm. It's part of the way yes. it's it's coming from Leviticus. It's part of the way Boaz is being shown to have God's own compassion and care and integrity uh, for these widows and so forth. Um, uh, but we we ask the question: What does that serve in the story? We we see the whole story of moving from the emptiness to the fullness, that's the transformation Mm -hmm. that's happening. Um, It happens through this Redeemer who has this compassion and it's shown in this way. But we shouldn't just be taking Ruth and making, you know, applications about, well, we need to take care of the widows and we need to take care of the poor, and those are all things the Scripture does tell us to do. But
0: and, and, mayb- and maybe even sub-points as we're going through the book because we do see this in the book. There seems to be application of previous revealed scripture and so right. certainly are sub-points of, of chapters as we're going through it. But isn't the transformational intent that we want to see in a listener if we're preaching right. it or right. uh, in our children if we're reading this during our family devotions. Right. Really what, what we're wanting to do is, is, is something far greater.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we're wanting to see, with with the book of Ruth, the whole story, the unity of the story, what's the transformation God intends uh, for us? Uh, And and we're looking at that. It may well involve some of these elements, Yes. but the approach is I'm wanting to see the intent of the text for transformation and not just me uh, make up applications Mm. along the way. Because when I get at the transformational intent of the text, that is what enables me to bring specific and compelling application uh, to, to the congregation. I see the, the worldviews, the frameworks that God is changing and transforming, how God works through this Redeemer, um, and that is what brings transformation. And that's what, uh, that's what all preaching, all Bible reading, all Bible teaching needs to be aimed at, transformation. So Jeff,
0: I, I mean confession time, right, for myself. Although I, I've told you this many times, you certainly have been one of the people that God has helped use in my life to mature <laughs> my approach to narrations. But I'm sure. like a really technical person. Like uh-huh. I want to work through the book of John and I want to do it verse by verse not even verse by verse Phrase by Not even phrase by phrase I want to <laughs> go word by word Find the theological background Of every single word As I work through the book of John Over 27 years You know And get to the end And it is finished <laughs> and, uh, and and just in, enjoy enjoy books that way But one of the things That you've really helped me to do Is, is to read narratives as narratives To look for the big picture And, and I, I guess that, that is one of the very practical Um advocacies that a person could take out of this morning's uh, session is that this book four chapters you've covered it in an hour and but really you've you've covered it as a unit you've looked for a single line that that starts at the beginning and goes all the way through the end and that helps us find the actual authorial intention and it also helps us to find God's intention for my heart, even for today, yeah. um, good idea to read these stories as stories. Read yeah. them in their entirety and read them over and over again, <laughs> yeah. that we can become accustomed with the yeah. feeling and the yeah. emotion that's been conveyed, the tone, the the yeah. characters, the the places, and and yeah. understand these. Big elements, yeah. r- rather than necessarily individual words. Although there is a place, surely, for for, for yeah. doing deep research on things that we don't understand in these in these stories that we are separated from right. by thousands of years and by right. thousands upon thousands of kilometres and even by language. Obviously, right. there is a need to right. research and right. to understand particular things that yeah. we don't understand, but yeah, but don't the, lose the the wood for the tree. Right, right.
2: <laughs> it's the issue of primacy. Right. The the primacy is the word itself. So I, I want to follow the text. I want to follow the flow the genre the structure of it uh, To get at that main idea to get at that transformational intent um, Rather than going too quickly to outside research and in looking over the pieces too much um, uh, C.S. Lewis said that there's two ways to study something you can uh, observe it and see it as a whole or you can analyze it and, and pull it apart piece by piece. He said the problem we often have with analysis is that after you pull it apart piece by piece you've killed it. It no longer lives. <laughs> and you not. and you're
0: not too sure how to put it back together. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right.
2: You're not you're not Doctor Frankenstein to rebuild the recreate <laughs> yeah. it. But so so seeing the thing as a whole, you see the life and the movement and the mm. the purpose of it then when you look at the analysis of individual things, you see the whole context so you don't get lost and make big issues out of small details that are just there to carry the story, um along the way. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 loving that and, and that certainly has has really helped me engage with God's word far more meaningfully. Um, mm. and understand greater portions of it as mm. I, I as I went through it um mm. in, in its sway mm. rather than, you know, getting bogged down on, yeah. on, on one item yeah. and then not being able to get and it. And enjoy
2: the story. Yeah. Right? Don't don't look for a message. Don't look for an application. Yes. Now that sounds like a terrible thing <laughs> to say, right? But don't look for application enjoy the story yes let the story have its impact upon you and then you start to see doing this process we work through today you start to see what the message actually is and then the the intent for transformation how i respond to it according to what god wants me to how he wants me to respond to it flows from that yes you you
0: know another thing that you've just said that is helpful, even to conversations that I've been having today with with other friends, is is when we get is when we start to analyze the story before we understand the story and before we appreciate the story. Sometimes the elements of the story don't actually make sense anymore yeah. without the context of the whole. You, we we tend to take out the surprise because we because we're looking at just this individual small section of whatever it is that is in front of us, rather than looking at the whole, appreciating. The whole finding the surprise uh, mm. element mm. in the story, or the the major point of tension that really fuels the mm. rest of what's going to be going on. Mm. That's really really helpful, Jeff. Thank you mm. so much, mm. Jeff. As as we because I, I I'd like us to also give kind of maybe some further advice to people that are listening and, and yeah. the kinds of narrative portions of Scripture that yeah. you might want to go on to after Ruth, yeah. um, or the, the kinds of books of the Bible that you might want to read um, as you are, are are wanting to grow in your understanding of Scripture. And let's keep it to narrative because that's all we've really discussed um, yeah. today. Yeah. Um, but before we go there, um, before we leave Ruth, yeah. what, what are some kind of closing um, elements that you'd like to draw out or, or convey?
2: Well i think th- this this message this transformation of emptiness to fullness through the work of the redeemer i think is so important for us right the different ways that we experience emptiness and we long for fullness mm. um where do we go for that where do you go for fullness in your heart where do you go for fullness where there's been loss where do you go for fullness well this through this story it happens through the work of the redeemer and the work of the redeemer leads to the king after god's own heart the redeemer after god's own heart boaz to the king david after god's own heart well Mm -hmm. who is our redeemer and king it's the same person uh, the lord jesus christ and are we looking to his redemption of us, his work for us, our relationship with him to, to draw our fullness from him? Um, that's what this story of Ruth uh, is, is all about. The fullness is in the Redeemer. And it's every time they're in contact with him that they experience fullness, that they experience joy. Um, they experience a future, they experience a secure inheritance, they experience... and so often we, we are looking at the things themselves, right? So so we need the grain. Uh, you might need a husband or a wife, you might need all, all these different things that are going on through the book, but ultimately the fullness is coming from Christ. And how often we are offered Fullness from anything and everything else, mm-hmm. and all other kinds of fullness now, if I need barley, if I need food, where do I go? I go to my redeemer and I ask for my daily bread right and and I can do that, but there's such a greater fullness that is in christ um and i and i to me that's the that's the powerful. Uh, transformational intent uh, of this book how does God solve this problem of the judges there's no king there's no ruler after God's own heart it's through the work of the Redeemer and it's through Christ's work of redemption that he becomes our king and all fullness is in him fullness of grace and truth right yes. and we draw deeply from his grace and his truth to find the fullness in our hearts, to find the, the fullness that doesn't replace the empty chair at the table of someone we've lost, but it provides a fullness of grace and strength and comfort for us to continue moving forward, serving His plan. Um, it, it, it's a fullness that is big enough to cover all the nations, Moabites uh, <laughs> and everybody. Um, there's just so much Of a fullness we have in Christ and uh, we we want to be careful that we don't reduce it to I need this I need that and then my life will be good Mm. I need to get married uh, or I need to get divorced or I need you know whatever Uh, those aren't the the core things when we draw our fullness of grace and truth from Christ in His redemption, in His kingship, um, uh, and seek His kingdom; uh, these other things will be added to us. Mm, mm. But, but the real, rich, eternal, secure inheritance of fullness is in being His bride.
0: Mm. We l- we live in a very secular society. Um, a society a society which doesn't acknowledge God doesn't acknowledge the things of God or if it does really just pays him lip service And so often so do we Um mm-hmm. the truth is we do we we, we find fullness we find satisfaction Uh, We find fulfillment in so many other things because so many other things are so easy to find fulfillment in It it is a wonder and a, a blessing when when Jesus is revealed to us And we see his glory and his beauty and his splendor and his majesty on clear display And we run to the cross But I guess the shameful thing is over time sometimes our gaze is diverted and Mm. we look to the things that we looked at before Mm. um, and find fulfillment in them. Mm. I I guess this has been a period even in our in our recent history where those kinds of things have been taken away from people and we've had an opportunity to gaze upon Christ once again Mm. and if you are listening in and you're in that place let me let me encourage you to enjoy this moment Even if you have had mm. certain material blessings removed Enjoy the fact that you have the blessing of Jesus Christ um, And his glory in your life uh, And that you can find ultimate satisfaction fulfillment, and enjoyment in him Both mm-hmm. in this life and in the life to come But then as God does add um, to you Make sure that you give him glory and praise, and take delight in the blessings that flow from his hand. Mm. But remember to keep your gaze on him, even as mm. you are enjoying um what, what whatever blessings he gives. I'm currently reading yep. through the book of Ecclesiastes, and mm. and I think that there is an element that that mm. we are to enjoy, even the temporal things uh, right. that got that that come from God. Yep. But we to remember who they come from, <laughs> yeah. and we to remember who to yeah. give glory to in the midst of it, because so often our eyes fall um yeah. from that yeah. um uh, jeff w- where to from Yeah, if a person is uh is says okay i'm going to read the book of ruth this evening i'm going to spend some time in it um, you know, just a, a few minutes. Would you encourage them to read the book like twenty times, uh, read each, uh, or would you encourage them to read it like three or four times and then go on to another narrative mm. in order to practice what they're learning somewhere else?
2: Well, uh, you know, how, how many times is uh, uh, um not so much the issue, but enough times. Read it through in one sitting, right? Don't don't read just one chapter tomorrow read the second chapter that that breaks things up and we have so many other things in our minds in between so read it through uh, in one sitting and and do that for uh, do that a number of times um until you're really getting a feel for the book you're seeing how it all works together and of course it's working that transformation in you um as well uh, from from there Go to some of the other short uh, narratives. Um, uh, even even in the prophets, you have the book of Jonah. Mm. That's a four chapter. You've got a poem in there, so you get a little shift of genre that will challenge you a little. But uh, that's a that's also a great narrative. It, we think we know what Jonah's about this fish swallowing this guy and something. Well, read it and do it the way we did it today. And and see, oh, maybe Jonah's about something a, a little more yeah. uh, than than just that. And then I, I'd say then go to Genesis. Mm. St- start in Genesis. Um, uh, read through Genesis. Uh, do beginning and end with Genesis. Notice how Genesis is structured and how the story develops. Um, it's uh, that's the beginning of everything else in the Bible. So that's a that's a very important book to. To work through uh, and then just read from there mm. uh, keep reading and read and read and read yeah
0: uh, and one of the ways that you can do that is join other people at your church and read together be accountable to one another pick a book of the bible and commit to going through it in a certain amount of time together Um, Recently at our church We read through the book of Mark With the intention of finishing it On Easter Sunday On Resurrection Sunday Mm -hmm. And so we split it up Into kind of one chapter a day And and read through the book And there was a group of about I don't know Ten people that did that Currently Mm -hmm. there are 20-25 20 25 people that are reading through the New Testament in 3 months mm-hmm. and every single day we we post what the reading is mm. and collectively we read it and we give a thumbs up when we've read mm. through that book mm. um re- read with other people because then yeah. you can reflect you can you can talk to one another oh you know we're at this place in the book what you're picking up what you're understanding what's the big picture yeah I'm not seeing it and yes. uh, you can engage with other people but you can also hold one another accountable uh, to make sure that uh, you You're all heading in the right direction And and finishing scripture Uh, That it doesn't just become a January 1st New Year's resolution Don't wait until next January To start reading God's word (laughs) Start today Four chapters of Ruth And then four chapters of Jonah And God will be glorified as you go through that process. I see we really are coming to the end mm. of the show, Jeff. I can't believe that 2 hours has gone. It yeah. has been, been really great. really quick. I just want to I just want to talk about word partners for just 2 seconds. Yeah. Um uh, well, a little bit longer than two seconds, but but Word Partners as an organization, there may be somebody who's listening in who says, I want to find out more about how to read God's Word or maybe I'm a pastor mm. and I want to learn how to do this or how to convey mm. this in my context. Mm. How can people go about contacting you um, mm. or engaging with you?
2: So if you go on the website, wordpartners.org, uh, um, you go on that website. Um, You'll find a a resource page. Uh, There's a lot of um, conversations, interviews, preaching, presentations about how to read God's Word, um, how to study God's Word, using these principles and and others. Um, You can go on there. Uh, There's a contact. Uh, If you contact and you are from uh, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, then that email gets uh, passed on to me. Um, and then i can reply to you uh, personally um but there's there's a lot there on the website you'll see about the ministry how we work with partners what our principles are you can look through all of those uh the genre and everything else um uh yeah and and we 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 work especially with small groups of pastors um uh, who are faithful men who can teach others also we work with them over a number of years uh, mentoring, developing, uh, coaching them—not uh, just with their preaching, but in training others also—and um, uh, yeah, that's that's what it's about. We we love the we love the church, and we want to see God's word be primary in it.
0: Well, friends, we are coming up to 11 o'clock. I have no doubt we have the news um, shortly. Uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks, we have got Marco and Sia coming onto the show to talk about township reformation. Uh, we've got Rocky from Benoni coming onto the show and Lance Lawton talking about good elders uh, and how they are rarer than hen's teeth um, in three weeks' time. For now, um, I have seen a number of Prayers that have come through, I certainly will have you in prayer for those of you who are struggling. Um, Our prayers also go out to the elders and deacons Who hold the line in local churches Mm -hmm. And to our missionaries Serving in Mm -hmm. foreign fields And we want to remember and pray And give much respect to our first responders Police, firefighters, nurses, paramedics And correctional facility Mm -hmm. uh, officers Serving in our nation You've been listening to Table Talk With me, your host Mark We're going to news now So until next week Friday Go with God and get after it Cheers.